All right, as you stand and open your Bibles, you can uh, turn to the book of Habakkuk. We're going to read verses uh, 1, 12 through chapter 2, verse 4. So we'll start in chapter 1, verse 12, reading through verse 4, as Pastor Bruce continues his series. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet. Because of them their share is sumptuous and their food is plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we ask this morning that you would open and mold our hearts. God, that our views and our perspective would change from those of ours to those of theirs. That you would show us, Lord, what you see. God, and that you would just mold our will into yours. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if you were here with us last Sunday, uh, we, we began this series, began answering the first question from this series called Answering Life's Toughest Questions. And the first question was, where is God when I need Him? Where is God when I need Him? And we learned that God's answer is to this minor prophet by the name of Habakkuk. God's answer was, listen, I am working even when you don't see it. I'm here behind the scenes and I'm doing my work even when you don't see it. And today we want to answer the second question. And that question is, God, are you really fair? God, are you really fair? Now, the issue of fairness, especially God's fairness, is probably a question that most people struggle with, or more people struggle with, than any other question. You see it every day. Bad people taking advantage of the weak. Good people down on their luck. Innocent people suffering, war, injustice. You ever get the feeling sometimes that God just isn't fair? It doesn't seem like that anyways. I mean, how many of us have asked, is God fair after 9-1-1 terrorist attacks? Or here lately, just last year, the Boston bombing attacks. Or maybe after the Sandy Hook school massacre killed 20 kids, 7 faculty. Or after the typhoon in the Philippines killed nearly 6,000 people just a year ago. Or perhaps you've asked, is God fair after something went wrong in your own life personally? Or when something didn't come about as you expected? And now you're crying out and you're wondering in your heart and in your mind, God, are you really fair? Where's the justice in all this? We all have an inherent sense of fairness. And when something isn't fair, our first tendency is to 
kind of react by shouting, that's not fair. Kind of like my two boys who shout, that's not fair when one gets something and the other doesn't. Or one gets to go somewhere like one did last week, last Saturday. I took one of my boys to the Meekum Auto Auction. How many of you have ever been to the Meekum Auto Auction down in Bartle Hall? They have a great car show. I took one of my boys, and let me tell you what the other one was crying out, who didn't get to go. That's not fair. Why does he get to go? And I don't. And we're no different as adults. But it's pretty serious when we begin to wonder and ask, is God really fair? And I pray the answer will be, self-evident by the end of this message as we look into God's Word here. Now, as we tackle this, this tough question, God, are you really fair? Let's begin with a couple of thoughts here, actually three thoughts in particular, to kind of lay a foundation before we begin to answer this question. Notice the first thought. The question, God, are you really fair, germinates in the soil of our perspective or even our perception on life in God. So before we can really answer our questions about God, we need to realize what perspective is. Because everyone here operates from a perspective. All of us have a perspective on life. We have a perspective on God. And the dictionary defines perspective as the act of using our senses to form an opinion about reality. And more so than we realize, every day we are using our senses to form our personal opinions about what we see, what we feel, about reality. We have a perception about it. We have a perspective about it. We have a perspective about God and how he operates or doesn't operate. We have a perspective about our own lives. We have a perspective about what we see in the world around us, about our marriages, our finances, about our jobs. You name it, we have a perspective about it. But here's the problem, which brings us to our our second thought here. The problem is our perspective is not always the same as reality, especially in matters of faith and eternity. There may be the way that I see things, but the way that I see things may not be the way that things really are. And it's the gap. Let me tell you, we all have this gap. There's a gap between my faulty perspective in truth as it really is, that causes us a lot of heartache and hardship in life. This is one of the reasons why we come to church like we are here this morning. You ever wonder, why, yeah, why do I get up on Sunday mornings like it is today and I come to church? What's the reason for that? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is to get our perspectives changed. Changed by what? By, by the Word of God, the truth of God's Word. After a week of being saturated by the world's wrong perspective, the culture's perspective. And that's why it's so important that we come to church on Sunday mornings. Like this worship hour. It's why our, our kids need it during Discovery Hour. We as adults need it during Discovery Hour even. It's, it's why summer camps are so important for our kids and for our teens. Because they're, they're saturated for a whole week of letting God's Word change their perspectives. It's why we need this weekly. There's a reason why we come to church and we let God's Word redefine reality for us. Let the truth of it. And the starting point, the third observation here, the starting point in answering the question, God, are you really fair now, 
is, is coming to a point here in our lives where we admit, it's admitting that, you know what, I may have some forms, some opinions about God and life that are inaccurate. My perceptions may be inaccurate. I may have some opinions and thoughts that just don't line up to what God's Word reveals. And so the starting point in answering this question is simply coming here and saying, you know what, I could be off a little bit. My perceptions could be twisted and shaped by the world and our culture, even by my own sinfulness. And to admit to ourselves before God here, all right, there may be some issues on my part on this. Now, last Sunday we learned that Habakkuk had a problem, and that is he lived through a period of national revival, followed, though, by a period of spiritual decline among God's people in the land of Judah, the nation of Judah. And so Habakkuk here, this prophet of God, he registered a complaint against God because, after all, it seemed like God was indifferent to the sin that was all around him, and it appeared God was inactive to do anything about it. But then God set the record straight to Habakkuk, and he answered. He said, listen, I'm working even when you don't see it. And what was God's work doing? He was raising up the Babylonians to be an agent of judgment on his people, that is, the people of Judah. And Habakkuk was like, you're bringing in who? Because that was not the answer Habakkuk wanted or expected. He wanted God to, to change the spiritual attitude of his people by sending another revival. But instead of sending revival, God was using an ungodly nation, the Babylonians, to bring judgment on his people. And as far as Habakkuk was concerned, God's first answer was really no answer at all. In fact, it only created a new problem for him, that was even more puzzling, and that was, it seemed like God was being inconsistent with his character and who he said he was. I mean, how could God tolerate the very existence of the Babylonians? Let alone, how could a holy God use a wicked nation to judge his own special people who were more righteous than the Babylonians? And so from Habakkuk's perspective, from his point of view, Listen, God isn't being fair about this. He had a hard time reconciling God's actions with his perspective of what was happening. So what about you? What do you do? What do you do when God does not act the way you think God should act? And let me tell you, we all think this from time to time. We all have our perceptions. We all have our expectations of what God should do, how he should act or not act. And so what do you do? How do you approach God on this? Well, if, when you have some serious doubts about the fairness of God, you need to do two things. Number one is expose the wrong perspective. Expose the wrong perspective. But understand, you'll never be able to expose the wrong perspective, that is the wrong pattern of thinking, without first having the right perspective. And this is what we find Habakkuk doing here in chapter 1, verse 12. If you have your Bibles, look at it with me. Notice what he says. This is Habakkuk speaking now. He says, he's speaking to God, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God? 
my Holy One. We shall not die. O Lord, You have appointed them for judgment. He's speaking now of the Babylonians. O Rock, You have marked them for correction. And so what Habakkuk is doing here is rehearsing God's character. He's kind of like, God, are are You not like this? Did you not say you're this kind of God? Did you not promise to be like this? Because i got to be honest with you, God. What you say you're like and what I'm experiencing is not lining up for me. There's a gap between here. And that's the first tension that we normally struggle with. God's actions versus God's character. And we can't reconcile or we have a hard time reconciling what God is doing with what God says he is. And this tension led Habakkuk to a wrong perspective about God and about life in general. So what was Habakkuk's wrong perspective? Let's summarize it here real quickly for us. Notice coming up on the screen. Here's his wrong perspective that he had. That God has abandoned fairness in the coming judgment of his people. God's not fair, in other words. He's abandoned all fairness. Now, let's just stop here for a moment. And let's be honest with ourselves. We struggle with this particular perspective. God's not fair. He's abandoned fairness on a personal level as well. For example, suppose you lose your job because a person who has it in for you misrepresents something you have done. Why did God allow this deceptive person to succeed? Or suppose you are sick and the doctor misdiagnoses your case so that you get worse. Why has this happened? Suppose you experience some great disappointment in life, like the death of a child or the death of a spouse, the breakup of a marriage, and a failure to land that job that you had your hopes and hearts on. Doesn't God care? You're not perfect, but but why should someone who is not even a believer in Christ, is not even a Christ follower, have it better while you lose out? Listen, these are all questions of fairness. God, are you really fair? Which is rooted in a wrong perspective that needs to be exposed by the truth of God's word. So how did Habakkuk now expose his wrong perspective? That in the wrong perspective, again, is what? That God has abandoned fairness. Well, he rehearses the truth of God's unchangeable character. Notice this quickly. First truth is God is eternal. Habakkuk began in verse 12 with the statement, Are you, Lord, not from everlasting? And that word everlasting literally means long ago. It's the idea that God has been around a long time. In other words, he's not the new kid on the block. God came before history, he created history, and he is over all history. And so we can imagine Habakkuk's line of thinking, something like this, my God, he is so different than the Babylonian so-called little g gods. I've got nothing to worry about. In the previous two verses, God has just finished describing the Babylonian superiority when he says at the end of verse 11 that they ascribe this power to, quote, their God. So Habakkuk must have thought to himself, well, their God, I mean, what is their God? Their God is nothing. When my God, listen, he's eternal. He was before anything came into existence, and he will be around long after the Babylonian 
nation fades away. Listen, there's nothing more reassuring. Nothing more reassuring. Especially when you're confused by by what's going on in your life or in the world than to kind of step back and remind yourself, one thing I know is that my God is eternal. My God was around before history started, and my God will be around long after it's gone. The second truth he reminds himself of is God is holy. Habakkuk says, O Lord my God, my Holy One. Now what is holiness? Doesn't mean you have a hole in your genes. Holiness means without moral blemish. It's the idea of total absolute separateness from anything that is sin. And this is why Habakkuk says of God in verse 13, you are of pure eyes than to behold evil. You cannot look on wickedness. In other words, God cannot look on evil without hating evil. And God and evil, they are eternal opposites. God is so holy that he cannot tolerate sin. And so rehearsing this aspect of God's character caused Habakkuk to kind of step back and say to himself, I don't understand everything God is doing, but I know that a holy God can never do anything that is unrighteous. He never makes a mistake. My God is holy. My God is eternal. The third truth he rehearses is is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Habakkuk writes, O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. Now the idea here is when it says God is sovereign, is that God is over all history. He controls history. The Babylonians, in other words, get this. You studied the Babylonian nation in history class, but your teachers may not inform you of this. Listen to me. The Babylonians did not rise up on their own. God raised them up for a specific purpose. Moreover, God was raising them up when he wanted to operate in the precise geographical sphere that he wanted and to do exactly what he wanted. God is sovereign. He's sovereign over the Babylonians. He was sovereign over God's people in Judah at that time. He was sovereign over Habakkuk's life. And folks, listen to me. He's sovereign over our lives today as well. He's still sovereign. He still sits on the throne. There should bring comfort to us in that truth that reality, that perspective. Number four, God is faithful. Did you notice that Habakkuk calls God, oh, rock? Now, that's not God, you rock, although God does rock. But rather, oh, rock is a title for God, which means God is stable, God is reliable, he's unshakable. In other words, you can count on God. It's the idea that God is a place of security for his people as a rock of refuge and protection. Now, do you have some doubts here about God? Do you have some questions about the fairness of God? Then, listen, the problem is not having doubts and questions. So if you have doubts about God's fairness questions, that's not a problem. God is like, bring them up to me, man. Bring them here. Come to me with them. The problem comes when we don't expose our faulty perception to the truth about what God is doing and who God is. 
But understand, when you have some serious doubts about the fairness of God, it's not enough just to expose the wrong perspective. We must also, number two, embrace now the right perspective. Notice what Habakkuk says in the middle of verse 12 as he rehearses the truth about God's character. There's this little phrase he says in verse 12. We will not die. Now that's rather interesting to have that thrown in the middle of rehearsing God's character. And I don't think that's by accident. I think it's on purpose here. I don't know about you, but I find comfort and confidence in those words. We will not die. Whatever you're going through right now, remember, we're not going to what? Die. Think about it. Whenever we're going through a rough time, a difficult time in life, and you cry out, God, are you really fair? Here's what we tend to do is gravitate to extremes. And we think to ourselves, God, I can't take this anymore. I just want to quit, or I even want to die. Now that's the wrong perspective. And that's when we need to embrace the right perspective. Whatever it is you're going through right now, we need to remind ourselves with what Habakkuk said. I will not die. I will get through this. This too will pass. You may be thinking, yeah, but what if I'm facing a terminal illness? That's a very real reality, isn't it? Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have placed your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ for your salvation. The Bible says you still won't die. Oh, you may die physically, but you will not die spiritually. You will just pass from this life to the next life with Jesus in heaven. As children of God, we get this thrilling reality that we don't die. We just go from lame to phenomenal forever. Glory about. And that should give us comfort and confidence. Now with that in mind, here's a, a right perspective to embrace. Notice this coming up on the screen. And that is God has ordained difficult circumstances for the life of every Christ follower. Go back to verse 12. And notice what Habakkuk says. He says, O Lord, you have appointed them, speaking about the Babylonians again, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them. You've marked the Babylonians for correction. Now who's the them? The them is the Babylonian army God has appointed as his instrument for judgment on his people. Now, isn't it interesting that even in his complaint, Habakkuk acknowledges this truth about God. That word, appointed. Interesting word. It's also translated ordained. And it means to put in a certain place. And this word, marked, is also translated established. And it means to set so that it cannot be moved. Now, Actually, there's a whole lot of comfort in this truth as well. That God has ordained for each of us difficult circumstances. And you're like, what, comfort in that? What, what are you saying, Bruce? How can there be comfort in the fact that God has ordained difficult circumstances for my life as a Christ follower? What is so comforting about that? 
Well, one, it means it's not by accident, right? God has ordained it. He's established it for a purpose. Now, when you think about this truth that God has ordained difficult circumstances for every one of his children, be careful that you don't form a wrong perspective and a faulty view of God just because you're now in the midst of difficult circumstances. Because here's what happens when something difficult comes into our lives. Our first thought is, where is God when I need him? And our second thought is, God, this isn't fair. But hang on. Remember, God has what? Ordained it. And you're asking, now why would God allow this, difficult circumstances, and ordain it into my life? Mark it for my life. Why would he do that? Forget about allow. Listen, he's ordained it. He's appointed it for us. You say, yeah, but for what purpose? Well, look at what it says at the end of verse 12. Habakkuk says, you have marked them for, and what's the word? Some of your Bibles say correction. Other of your translations may say reproof. And that word correction and reproof simply means that God doesn't just want to save us. He wants to change us. We need to get rid of this idea that my spiritual journey came to an end when I got saved. No, that's not the end. That's just the beginning of the transforming work God wants to do in our lives. And one of the main instruments that God is going to use in changing us is what? Difficult circumstances that oftentimes seems unfair. Now, perhaps that's where you find yourself right now. Right in the middle of something that is difficult, troubling, and it seems unfair. Let me encourage you to view God with the right perspective. To remember God's love is not a pampering love, but it is a perfecting love. He's using that to transform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, as Habakkuk rehearsed the truth of God's character, he can see that the Babylonians, though, were an instrument in God's hand to judge God's people, not to annihilate God's people. But in spite of his expressions of faith, the burning question still remains. Why would God look with favor on evil men so as to allow them to dominate God's people? Paraphrase. Why does my lost neighbor prosper while I struggle? Why does my lost co-worker get the promotion when I don't? Why, do, why does it seem that, that the unrighteous prosper and the righteous don't? That's, that's the cultural translation of this that Habakkuk's asking. He's asking, okay, God, I'll give you this. Yes, we are a sinful nation, God's nation, Judah, the people of Judah. But how can you judge a sinful nation with an even more sinful nation? That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. How can you do it? It just doesn't work. You're a God who cannot look upon sin. So how can you use the Babylonians, who are more sinful than us, to judge us? And that's still the rub today, isn't it? That's the rub for every one of us here this morning. It's the people involved that God uses in our life to change us that rubs us the wrong way. 
God, I understand you need to grow me. God, I understand you want to change my character and make me more like Jesus Christ. I understand that. I get that. I'm all for that, God. And I understand that you need to use difficult circumstances to do that. But why do you have to use that person? That's the rub. That's always the tension. God, why are you using that person? I don't see why they have to be a tool in your hand to work on me. This doesn't seem fair. Have you ever thought that before? Or am I the only one? Man, I've thought that as a pastor. God, I know I need to grow in this area of my ministry as pastor, in this area of my life, but, but do you have to use that person to do it? Surely not that person, Lord, to teach me and grow me. I try to explain this to my two boys all the time. I mean, it's unbelievable. I try to explain it to Tyler. Listen, Tyler, there's a purpose why you have Jack as your little brother. God's trying to teach you lessons for life. Make you more like Christ. And I know Jack irritates you. I know he gets into your business and your stuff, and you can't stand it when that happens. And you just want him, you wish we would have never found him on the front porch. <laughs> just kidding, Jack. We love you. And in all seriousness, we try to explain to Tyler, listen, there's a purpose in all this. Yeah, but Dad, it's Jack. Why does he got to use that person? And we all have our people in our lives, which we don't want God using to change us. And for Habakkuk, it was the Babylonian nation. And so Habakkuk questions God's use of the Babylonians, just like we question God's use of certain people in our lives to change us. Notice some of his questions here. Look at it in your notes coming up on the screen. Habakkuk's first question was, why would God employ a people of iniquity? Iniquity just means sinfulness or sins. We see this in verse 13 when Habakkuk says, or he asks God, Lord, you are of pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? This is the heart of Habakkuk's problem with God. The Babylonians, Lord, are far more wicked than the people in Judah. So how could a holy God use a wicked people to punish his own chosen people? Israel, in his mind, is far from righteous. I, I get that, Lord. We are, God's people, we are far from righteous. But the Babylonians, listen, they're less righteous than us. Actually, they're terribly wicked. So isn't it wrong for God to exalt such a wicked people? That's his question here. Notice his second question. Why would God endorse a people of injustice? Notice what he writes in verses 14 and 15. Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? In other words, in the face of the Babylonians' ruthless tactics of war, here's what's going on. Other nations were like fish of the sea to be caught. You ever feel like you're just another fish in the sea that nobody cares about? Not even God. This is how Habakkuk felt. And he's bringing these feelings to God. And then in verse 15, it describes the Babylonians as fishermen. And it lists three methods they catch their captives. It says they take up 
all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net, and they gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. In other words, to the Babylonian people, life was cheap, and people were expendable. So why then would God allow his weak people to be invaded by such a heartless and ruthless people like the Babylonians? That's his question to God. Third question, why would God excuse a people of idolatry? Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? The Babylonians, here's what's going on with this question. The Babylonians trusted in their military strength. And they worshipped the gods of power and violence. And so they were puffed up with arrogance and self-confidence. So why would God then honor them? by giving them one victory after another. After all, didn't God later say through Peter, over in James and Peter, he says it twice, hey, God resists what? The proud, but gives grace to the humble. And yet, here God's honoring these people. God, how long are you going to let this go on? Do you know what Habakkuk's real problem is, though? Here's, when you strip it all away, here's his real heart-wrenching problem he has with God. His questions here are based on the assumption that the people of Judah are more righteous than the people of Babylon. That's his issue. But when you compare Judah's wickedness versus Babylon's wickedness, listen, there is no difference in the eyes of God. Look at those three words Habakkuk uses to describe the Babylonians. He says they are people of iniquity, a people of injustice, and a people of idolatry. But are the Babylonians the only ones guilty of these sins? No way. God's people were just as guilty of the same sins. What's ironic, though, is that Habakkuk protested first against the wickedness of his own people, but now he's protesting against the wickedness of the Babylonians. You see, the issue of fairness always, let me say it again, the issue of fairness always comes down to our perspective of God, of others, and ourselves. Now just grapple with that for a moment in your minds. You see, we expect God to act a certain way. We think God is obligated to act according to our perceived ideas. And most of all, we believe, listen, we believe that we deserve better treatment than we're getting. Because after all, hey, we're better and not as sinful as, well, those people. Those people could be your spouse. Those people could be your neighbor. Those people could be your coworker. Those people could just be the people of the world. Those people may even be people here in this church. And when these two things, when they don't add up or don't come about, that's when we cry out, that's not fair. 
God's not fair. Which brings us back to our tough question of the day. God, are you really fair? And notice God's answer here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Look what God says. Habakkuk speaks first, and he says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me, that is God, and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Now we'll come back to these verses, but for now let's pretend you're Habakkuk. Put yourself in his shoes. And you're asking God this question. God, are you really fair? And God's answer is, are you ready for the answer? I'm not going to answer your question right now. Did you notice in the text, God doesn't really answer the question? And don't you just hate that about people? You ask them a question, they don't really answer your question, and it just infuriates you, it frustrates you. You're not answering my question. You're beating around the bush. You're answering my question with another question. I don't like that. You ever have people like that? You ask them a question, and they ask you a question. That's kind of what God is doing here with Habakkuk, but he's doing it for a reason, for a purpose. And here's the summary answer God gives to Habakkuk's question. Tough times are coming, so get ready and trust me. God's answer is this. Tough times are coming. They're appointed for a season, and they're going to accomplish my purpose in your life. And at the end of it, you will know that I am good. So get ready for it and trust me. Perhaps you're living where Habakkuk is living, and you're right now, you're right in the middle of some difficult circumstances in your life. And perhaps you're thinking to yourself, okay, God, I think I understand what you're doing. You've appointed some tough times in my life. I get that. But how am I supposed to cope with it? How am I supposed to function in life? How am I supposed to get through this? How am I supposed to make it to the other side? Well, let me offer you three lessons of hope to live by. To help you get through. To help you persevere and embrace what God is doing in your life. Number one, commit your thoughts to God. Commit your thoughts to God. This is exactly what Habakkuk does in verse 1 when he says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Now, what's interesting here is that Habakkuk started with what perspective? A wrong perspective. But now he sets himself on a rampart, waiting to gain God's perspective of the situation. You're like, a rampart. What is a rampart? Well, a rampart, or even uh, some, sometimes it's called a watchtower, was usually set high on the city walls. And from it, as you can imagine, you had a wide view and an open view to see the arrival of an enemy coming to besiege your city. 
And like a watchman, Habakkuk positions himself, now listen, high above his own perspective of life. Why? In order, what's he waiting to do up there? What's he do? He, in order to hear from God and to see God's perspective on the coming Babylonian invasion that was confounding him. In other words, Habakkuk was saying, I'm going to get out of this valley of depression. I'm going to the watchtower, and I'm going to look to God and wait for him to answer me. Now, don't miss this last phrase that he says. And what I will answer when I am corrected. Habakkuk brings his problem to God Almighty. But folks, listen to me. He does it with the right attitude. He didn't ask God these tough questions because he thought God was wrong and that God needed to change his ways and explain his ways. Habakkuk asked these tough questions because he knew his perspective was twisted. It was blurred. It was confounding him. In essence, it was wrong, and it needed to be corrected. And so his questions that he brings to God with a right attitude were an invitation to God, asking God, and, and for God to say to him, God, I don't understand what you're doing, but I know you're holy, you're sovereign, you're faithful in all things, so please now speak to me. Correct me, Lord. Whatever doubts and questions you may have. And listen, we all have them. Commit your thoughts to God. Take them to the Lord. Do so, though, with the right attitude and wait for him to answer you. The second lesson of hope is this. Refuse to give up on God. Refuse to give up on him. Why? Because when you're facing a problem or you're struggling with doubt, sooner or later God will answer you. Look what it says at the beginning of verse 2. It says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Don't you just love that about our God? The rest of verse 2 says, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. In other words, God told Habakkuk to make sure that his message was clear, plain, and understandable for all to see. And then in verse 3, God says in different ways, what I said is going to happen. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. What vision are we talking about here? The vision of God's coming judgment on his people and the Babylonians. It will come at whose appointed time? God's appointed time. In other words, what you see is exactly what I said would happen, God is saying. And it will not be a minute late, but exactly when it's supposed to be. And then he continues, he says, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. The phrase surely come simply means that you can bank on it. You can count on it to come. It's not a maybe come, but it's a guaranteed to come. And the same is true when our difficult circumstances come into our lives. God is saying to us, just as he said to Habakkuk, listen, what I said about ordaining those difficult circumstances in your life for a purpose, listen, it's going to happen. So get ready. Trust me. Don't give up on me. I know what's best for you. And it will accomplish its purpose in your life, my intended purpose. These difficult times will come on time, 
and it will leave on time. And maybe again, you find yourself right now in the middle of an appointed season of suffering. And that's when most Christians tend to think within themselves, God is so far from me. Wrong. God is so close to you as he uses that difficulty, that person, that suffering to fulfill his purpose in your life. Go back to the middle of verse 3 and notice what it says. Though it tarries, wait for it. This whole thing is about time, time, time. Understand, truth becomes clear over time. And so you're not going to understand what God is doing in your life unless you embrace His time schedule. So refuse to give up on God. Refuse to quit and wait for His work to be accomplished in your life. If what you're going through now seems confusing, if it seems slow, if it seems to be taking forever... The answer is not to give up on God, but to wait on God because He is faithful. And you're probably thinking, yeah, that's easier said than done, so how do I do that? Well, we find the answer in our last lesson of hope. Live by faith in God. Notice verse 4. It says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. This last phrase is one of the most important texts in all of God's Word. It's quoted three different times in the New Testament. And next week we'll look more closely at the proud, who are the Babylonians in this context. And we'll see that God doesn't let any sin go unpunished, including the sins of the Babylonians. But today, as we close here, I want you to focus on the just or the righteous. Now, the righteous are not righteous because of anything they've done. Folks, listen to me. We're not righteous because of what we've done or what we can't do. We're righteous because we are declared righteous by God himself because of our faith in the only person who is supremely righteous, and that is Jesus Christ. And through our faith in Christ, our trust in him, God now declares us righteous. And as righteous ones, we live by faith. It's ongoing. Living by what we see is discouraging, but living by faith is encouraging. Listen, faith, that's how we make it. That's how we get through our difficult circumstances, by faith in God. That's how we wait on God when it doesn't make sense. We keep on trusting God. And so we don't live on the basis of what we see, what we experience, or what we delight in, we live by faith in God Almighty. And living by faith is what will move you from perplexity about what's going on in your life to the perspective you need to persevere to the very end in life. It's by faith. And this perspective of faith, it helps us to understand the truth. Folks, listen to me. That God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Even when it seems God is not fair some of the time. Let's pray. Now, as we prepare for our response time, let me ask you a question. How many of you would be honest enough to say, with our heads bowed, you've been 
you've been dealing with some difficult issues. God has ordained, he's appointed some difficult circumstances in your life right now. And you've been struggling a little bit with this issue of fairness. Would you raise your hand for me? All right, all over the auditorium. Thank you. What I want to do is just, I want to pray for us. And I want to pray for you in particular who have raised your hand. Lord, we come to you this morning. And Lord, this is one of the toughest questions we struggle with, even as your people. Are you really fair? In those moments, in those seasons, when we are going through difficulty and suffering and trials, Lord, that's when this question raises its head. And so, Lord, I pray and ask that we would bring this question before you in honesty, but we would do so with a heart of humility and reverence before you, seeking your answer, seeking to be corrected, seeking to have our perspective changed by your truth. And Lord, we would walk away here this morning knowing that you are eternal, you're holy, you're just, and you are good and gracious, and you are sovereign over our lives. Lord, for those individuals specifically that are dealing with this, I ask that your grace would encourage them. You would strengthen them. You would help them to persevere and not give up in their walk with you, but to continue to trust you and live by faith in you. Lord, you want to grow them. You want to strengthen them. You want them to become more like your son Christ for the purpose of your glory and that they may radiate that glory. And so help us to do that as individuals and as a church. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Listen, I hope this message has been an encouragement to you. This is a tough question. It's a question we all struggle with. And I hope you'll come back next Sunday as we continue in this series, as we answer our third question. Does God leave sin unpunished? Because when you look out in our world today, that's kind of what it seems like, doesn't it? But it's even scarier when you ask that question about our own lives. Whoa, does God leave my sin unpunished? Well, you've got to come back next Sunday as we tackle that question from this little old minor prophet book of Habakkuk.